I think theology is for the clergy. I just believe in Jesus. <laughs> Hermeneutics of eschatology demand an exegetical approach. I think you shouldn't question what you were taught in church. Isn't that blasphemy or something? I Welcome to the broadcast, folks. This is Michael Patton, and this is Theology Unplugged. We are coming to you from Edmond, Oklahoma, the Credo House. I am joined by Tim and Sam. Hello, hello, hello. Who by now, for many of you guys, uh, you're very familiar with. Uh, Tim Kimmerly, Executive Director here at the Credo House. Sam Storms, who is the theologian at large. Is that a... Is that okay? Yeah, I think that's a great title. As long as you theologian don't call me at large, large theologian. <laughs> <laughs> Here uh, in Edmond, Oklahoma, pastor of Bridgeway Community Church. Community Church, no, right? Just Bridgeway Church. Why not community? Um, I have no idea. You don't like community? No, we're into community. That's not in the name. <laughs> All right. All right. That's in the life of the people, not in the name of the church. Okay. Well, guys, you guys are joining us, uh, whether it be through the blog or through your feed, your chosen feed, or through iTunes. Um, Some of you have been with us for quite some time, joined us on the blog each time, but uh, don't even know what a feed is. And I think it's important for people who are doing podcasting to know what a feed is. So what is a feed? What is a feed? Yeah. Whenever I say catch our feed, what does that mean? Well, simply what it is, is it's a Preformatted XML file is the technical term. Put it in term. a way that somebody would understand. Yeah. Why is it useful? Why it's useful is that you don't have to keep coming back to our website to check if we have a new podcast available. What you can do is get a feed reader, which many email uh, programs automatically have that, like Outlook or Mozilla's uh, Thunderbird, or even you can set up your web page uh, to alert you when there are new podcasts. So basically, you, you can have a feed connection where you are being alerted when our new podcasts come out instead of having to keep coming back to our website. Okay, and and iTunes is kind of a feed reader as well, right? Yeah, so you can check out iTunes as well, and it's already connected, so you can be connected to our podcast and then receive updates. Well, the mass majority of you come to us through iTunes, if you can, uh, while on iTunes next time, uh, put down a little review for us. That'll be good. We like to see those. We like to get your feedback. You can uh, email us at credohouse at reclaimingthemind.org. Uh, theology unplugged at reclaimingthemind.org. Those are two good valid email addresses. But we'd love to hear your feedback. We we love to read from uh, people that are out there listening to this to see what you think, uh, to see how it's blessing you, because that's what this is about. So uh, yeah, and we pay Michael based on his performance on theology unplugged. And so if you want him to receive a paycheck this week, give some feedback. Uh, well, we get a bonus too every time we get a positive feedback. No, you have a low limit. So oh, okay. sorry, <laughs> we've set your quota very low. Well, listen, folks, we're going to be doing uh, starting a new series here today. It is going to be uh, well. Wait a minute. This is going to be coming out this Friday. Mm-hmm. So we've got classes that are starting. We do. We have classes starting Tuesday, January 25th. Our School of Theology is kicking off. Uh, so if you would, we would love to have you go through, no matter where you're at in the world. The first two people who registered for the class were from South Africa and London. And so we'd love to have you be a part of it. Uh, Michael will be leading you through uh, Introduction to Theology and a class on Humanity and Sin. So if you have thought about it for a long time, getting involved in the theology program, this is the time. It is. Uh, you won't regret it. It's a crash course into Christianity, a crash course into how to think through theological issues, a crash course into helping you graduate from the faith 
that you may have held to because you held to it from your parents or or just because you have always heard it this way, but you're not really sure why you believe what you believe. Mm -hmm. And this is really to help you work through those things. Very intentional and uh, very evangelical. Mm -hmm. And so we, we encourage you, if you can, to get enrolled in the theology program in a formal way. The reason why you would do it formally rather than just on your own as a self-study student watching the videos out there is because you're going to be in with a community of students from all over the world. Exactly. Unlike Sam's church, we are into community. Exactly. And we like to learn in community here. All over the world, you're going to be interacting with people. You can come up here to the Credo House, but also it is uh, something where you will be interacting with uh, me and it is something you can bring your questions. You have questions about the class. Whenever you're watching it by yourself, you just you know have those questions. Mm -hmm. But in this community, you can come and you can ask me. You can ask the other students and get in and discuss these things. And we really think uh, it's uh, beneficial to discuss theology. Just go to reclaimingthemind.org and you'll see the first picture that pops up there says reject apathy. What we're wanting to do is reject apathy and be a lot more purposeful in your growth in 2011. So just click on that reject apathy and that'll take you right to how you can sign up and register. Okay, well we're going to be talking today uh, starting a series on Calvinism. Now, I was talking yesterday, Sam, to Tim, and I, I was telling a story about uh, about Will, my son. Now, he started basketball. He's seven years old, just started basketball, and we've been going through the ins and the outs of basketball and taught, teach him how to dribble. Here, here's my deal. I say, listen, dribble, catch, shoot. Those are the things we need to learn. If you can't dribble, you're not going to be able to play basketball. And so we're learning to dribble. We've got dribble drill one, dribble drill two, and dribble drill three. So I say, dribble drill one, Will. And he has to dribble 50 times with each hand without looking at the ball. Dribble drill two is running between cones and switching hands as he's running. Does he have to do that a thousand times? No. It, dribble, drill one, dribble drill two one means you do dribble drill two once. Okay. So I usually only make him do it once. Catch, steal, shoot, we do all those, right? So we've been doing it for uh, three weeks. And I'm like, he's going to get out there and he is going to kill. I mean, these other players are going to have no clue what's going all on. All the other seven-year-olds will have all no chance. All the other seven-year-olds. I mean, he's going to be stealing. He's going to be shooting. He's going to be dribbling and, and dribbling right past them. And they're, they're, they're just not going to know what to do. And so we go to the game last Saturday, right? And, yeah, he's dribbling good. And yes, whenever he gets the ball, he's shooting well. But he doesn't know which direction to go. He, he gets the ball and dribbles to the other people's court. His person, somebody on his team got the ball, and he runs up and he's stealing the ball from his own teammate, <laughs> and he's guarding his own teammate. Every time his own teammate got the ball, he would run up to him, put his hands up, and guard him. <laughs> And I'm sitting there in the stand saying, what in the world did I do wrong? <laughs> I've created a monster. <laughs> At that moment, I realized, you know what? I didn't teach him the game of basketball, some of the basics, before teaching him the individual skills of basketball. And sometimes when we get into these issues of theology, I think that's what I do often. I, I assume too much from a lot of things. You know, we're, we're in our studies every day. We're, we're, we, we, we've got our books. We've been studying it. All three of us have uh, not only been through seminary, but Sam, you have taught seminary and seminary classes. 
we have uh, been around this stuff for a long time, and sometimes we just forget there's some basics that people need to know about. And this came true whenever I was uh, got an email the other day from a guy who listens to Theology Unplugged all the time and said, you know what, I'm hanging with you guys for the most part. I'm trying to pick up on things, but I just don't know what some of the basics that you talk about all, all the time are. Sometimes you all talk about Calvinism, and I just have no clue what that is. But I'm picking up on it little by little. So that's what I thought we'd do is back up and say, what is Calvinism? We do talk about it some here on Theology Unplugged. It's one of those things that if you're in theological circles, you're going to hear people talk about. So let's talk about it. Calvinism. What is it, Sam? (laughs) (laughs) I'm still trying to learn how to dribble over here, so (laughs) dribble my way through that answer. What is Calvinism? Well, um, I suppose we can answer that in a couple of ways. Um, some, yeah, whatever answer you give is going to determine the direction of this program. Oh, it is. Okay. okay. Um, it is a way of reading Scripture that um, recognizes the pervasive sovereignty of God over all of life. Um, it is... Uh, an understanding that the Word of God teaches us that uh, God is providential Lord over all events, that He is orchestrating everything for uh, His glory, that um, our salvation is entirely a gift of His grace, um, that He works uh, effectively uh, to bring to salvation those whom he has chosen to inherit eternal life, and that he will preserve them uh, unto life's end through all the difficulties and the failures and the sins that we commit until we stand glorified in his presence on the final day. Um, so I, I think it's largely um, a view of the nature and the character of God and his ways in the world and his ways in our experience, and particularly uh, a way of understanding how we come to saving faith in Christ. Um, in many respects, that, that is the, that's the kind of the defining issue, is if, if you ask people, if you press them, um, how and why did you come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Uh, how they answer that question will be indicative of where they stand on the issue of Calvinism. Uh, If they envision uh, their salvation as having come about um, by an act of their own will, um, now perhaps God's grace um, encouraged them, perhaps God's grace created an opportunity for them to exercise their will in believing in Jesus, perhaps God's grace um, overcame the uh, depravity of their own heart. But in the final analysis, when it all comes down to it, um, they are ultimately responsible for the act of will by which they receive Christ in the forgiveness of sins. If they answer in that way, um, I would not consider them to be Calvinistic in their view. Uh, But if they respond by saying, although I exercised faith in Jesus, the power to do so um, was from God, and he irresistibly and effectually drew me and wooed me and brought me into the experience of saving faith, uh, they would have an understanding of what I, I believe Calvinism to be. Well, most people, I doubt, 
whenever they first uh, become believers, mm-hmm. understand what has happened to them. You know, as one person has said, you become a believer in a moment of time. You spend the rest of your life trying to figure out what happened in that moment. Mm. Um, I, I doubt most people are come to Christ in, say, a Calvinistic way that they would be conscious of. Because whenever you accept Christ, you feel as if you're the one who's doing it, right? You're making a... Well, you are the one doing it. Well, you're the one who is uh, making the free will decision, and it is uh, genesis. It it comes about through your own passions and desire and change of mind and ultimately your own will, your own ability to exercise your will. And so I I doubt it. There's very many people that whenever they become believers are Calvinist in their understanding of how they became believers. That's true. And so it's something that later on in your life, I know that's what it was by, with me. Mm. Uh, I, I consider myself to be a Calvinist, but I remember the time in my life whenever I began to wrestle with these issues. Mm. It, 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 was a, it was a hard thing for me. Mm. And most people I talk to go through this kind of Calvinist wrestling, sovereignty of God, predestination period of their lives that – it, it, it's a it's a true wrestling match. It's a true wrestling match with God because you are reorienting yourself. Like you said, it's an interpretation of the scripture. It's a way of reading the scripture. You begin to read the scriptures and say, well, is this how it happened? Mm-hmm. Is this how I came to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? And I remember whenever I, I think I was uh, 21 whenever it happened to me. It's kind of like, you know, you remember different points in your life, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, whenever significant events happen. But whenever I was 21, I remember my mother coming in. Uh, I was living at home at the time, back at home after college. And my mother came in, and that's she handed me the Bible, and it was open to Romans chapter 9. And she was pretty distraught. Mm-hmm. And she said, it was to that point of reading in her Bible, and she said, what do you do with this, Michael? Because she knew I'd started studying the Bible, and I was very interested in it. And she said, what do you do with this? And I thought, well, give me that. You know, it's easy. I can figure out anything in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And I think it was the first time I really wrestled with Romans chapter 9, and I remember staying up all night long just looking at that passage and really being upset about the passage. (laughs) Uh, I didn't like what it was saying. I wanted to try to figure something else out, mm. but in Romans chapter nine, where it says that it is not does not depend upon he who wills, he who strives, but upon him who has mercy, and that whole Jacob and Esau thing, where it said before either one of them had done anything good or bad, mm. so that God's purpose and election might stand, it was said to him, the younger will, the older will serve the younger. And it, it just hurt. It hurt. And and I actually came up with this interpretation, never having introduced to this to debate. I mean, I've never heard of the Calvinism and Arminianism debate, which you guys will hear more about as we go through this series. But I came back in to my mother later on, and maybe it was the next day sometime, and I said, I figured it out. God must look ahead into time since he's timeless and see the choices that people make in the future and predestine or elect them based upon that. Mm. All by myself. You proud of me? Yeah, very, very much so. <laughs> <laughs> but I, 
But I'm not surprised because I think we are all by uh, nature and instinct Arminian. And so you just articulated the classical Arminian view. And and we attempt to stay Arminian because what we're talking about here, whenever we're talking about Calvinism, whenever we're talking about the sovereignty of God, we're talking about an adjustment in your whole paradigm of thinking, in your whole paradigm as you read the scripture and and it shapes your theology to the point where you begin to yield everything over to God and begin to understand that he is sovereign over everything. And that's a hard adjustment to make mm-hmm. because we are born differently. Mm-hmm. We are born in a give and take. I love you, you love me. The more I love you and treat you well, the better you'll treat me. I work, the harder I work, the more I will yield out of this work. And so therefore, everything in our lives from the time when we're children to the time when we grow up is based upon this different system, this different way of thinking, this different paradigm. And then we come to the Bible and we want to insert that paradigm into the scriptures and then the scriptures begin to say it doesn't go according to that paradigm, at least in a Calvinistic way of thought. So uh, I'm wondering here, do you think it would be helpful to to call a little bit of a timeout and give a little bit of background of... Are we dribbling? Uh, Are we dribbling between the legs? Well, right I didn't know we, this was all tied to a basketball analogy, so I'm not sure. But but I'm thinking for someone who we're diving into to discuss Calvinism, but for someone who who this is all brand new information, might not know what this movement is, who this person is behind Calvinism, and and where this got its start and things like that. Do you think? Uh, mind if just a couple minutes of background on John, John Calvin, I think, might be helpful as well for someone to to see what's leading up to these ideas. Sure, I think that would be good. I think it'd, it'd be important for us to be able to say, yes, we do call it Calvinism, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And and I think mainly it's coming, I mean, if someone's saying, well, where is this getting its start? It's getting its start in the, the Protestant Reformation is where it's getting its start. So in roughly 1517, I believe, is when Martin Luther is nailing on the door his 95 theses saying that the Roman Catholic Church has gone astray, that it needs to be reformed heavily. And in 1517, John Calvin, who lived in France, was eight years old. And so you have this little kid in France where the world around him is changing. The world around him is shaking to the core. Because unlike today, where you think church is very separate from state, that wasn't the case back then. Church and state had a lot of influence on each other. And we had this huge movement started by Martin Luther of this reformation of the church. And many people were wanting to change the Roman Catholic Church from the inside out. But those people were being thrown out of the Roman Catholic Church and were becoming the these Protestants uh, in this Reformation. And when, as John Calvin grew up, uh, God had, had gifted him with the ability of study and writing. Uh, he didn't feel like he was led to, to really be a leader or a pastor. He wanted to be more of a scholar and a writer and influence that way and was being drawn by uh, seeing that the church needed Reformation. And so he... Um, I don't know when the Institutes first came out. I believe it was 1526 or something like that. Is that right? Or 
um, but uh, 1536. And so when, when uh, John Calvin was only 27 years old, his institutes first came out. And what he was doing is he was looking at the Bible, looking at church history, and saying, okay, the Protestant movement, this is how we're going to, this is how we interpret the Bible, this is how we see God working in history. And he came out with Calvin's institutes, uh, the institutes of, of, of the church, and uh, that was six chapters long. So it was a little booklet that was six chapters long that then became a, an international bestseller. It was being translated into languages, and during his lifetime, a lot of his focus was writing his institutes of how I see the Bible and how I interpret the Bible. And his last edition before he died had grown from six chapters to 80 chapters. And so he has left us this huge work that people have been feasting on now, and a lot of this thinking that now we're drawing from someone who lived in the 1500s, and now Calvinism is seeing the Bible and seeing Scripture in the way that John Calvin did. And then later this guy will go into then how how Calvin's thoughts then interact with other people, like a guy named Jacobus Arminius and stuff like that. But seeing that, that this is all being rooted in the 1500s, and this is really propelling us forward to now we're, we're really... Uh, really reaping what he sowed back then in our thinking about God and how we view the Bible. Mm-hmm. And just to add a couple, of, uh, a, a couple of thoughts to that, first of all, uh, some people might take offense at the idea that we would label ourselves by the name of a mere human. Uh, and the fact is, although the label is here to stay, there's just simply no way uh, to do away with it. Um, I, as a Calvinist, do not believe what I do because John Calvin uh, happened to embrace it. Uh, I believe um, I believe it because that's what the Bible teaches. Calvin just simply happened to be the most articulate and well-known advocate, and as you said, Tim, his Institute of the Christian Religion uh, became the definitive expression of that particular theological viewpoint. So uh, even Arminians would say, well, we don't, we don't believe what we do because James Arminius believed it. We be, that's, they, they believe it because that's what they understand the Bible to teach. And then a second point, although it did emerge in a more art, articulate and concrete way in the time of the Protestant Reformation, there was a long history of individuals within the church who embraced largely the same view uh, of the sovereignty of God as did John Calvin. I mean, all the way back... Uh, into some of the early fathers, particularly Augustine, um, certainly um, Thomas Aquinas. It might catch many by surprise. The, uh, the most well-known Roman Catholic medieval scholar uh, was very, if I can put it in quote marks, in quotations, Calvinistic in his <laughs> views, very Augustinian. Um, so uh, it, it is not something that was invented in the 16th century. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was has a long history, and again, it's not because one particular individual believed it, but because we simply say that generally or largely how Calvin read the Word of God is the way we understand it ought to be read and understood. One of the things that you'll begin to recognize when we do study theology, folks, is that history, when we talk about the sovereignty of God, we talk about the sovereignty of God in Scripture, in biblical times, in modern times, and throughout church history. And we talk about God revealing his truth in the scriptures progressively. He didn't reveal it all at once at the beginning in Genesis to Adam and Eve, right? Whenever they got kicked out of the garden, wasn't handed a full copy of the scripture. 
uh, wasn't told that uh, a child would be born by it to a virgin and and um, and uh, be the son of God, the second person of the Trinity, and die on a cross. It's progressive, and I think even throughout history, when we're talking about these things, we must understand that in church history, there are developments, and what we call Calvinism is an articulation of thought of our understanding of Scripture that, as we said, was articulated best by a man named John Calvin, or I guess at a best at the best point in history, as mm. Tim was saying, you know, the uh, the Protestant Reformation, the times were ripe for this the the thinking to develop, even though, as Sam says, it has roots in other church fathers as well. But that's what we're going to be talking about is this this development of the system of thought. And and whenever you and I sit here and talk about it, it may not be that we're saying we agree with everything John Calvin said. It just has that label, Calvinism, and that is kind of stuck. Mm -hmm. But it is going to be, as we will talk about as we continue on, there are going to be certain points that define Calvinism, certain certain aspects of how God's sovereignty plays out in our salvation. And a lot of this, folks, as you listen to this, will be confusing. Some of you who listen to this for the first time and are just now dealing with this, maybe a friend pointed you to this series, maybe a friend got you this series, and they say, listen to this to be able to find out what Calvinism is. I promise you, you are going to enter into a wrestling match, mm-hmm. just like I did. And it's not going to be an easy wrestling match. Man, I want you to prayerfully enter into this. I want you to get on your knees, and I want you to stand before God, and I want you to not to accept what we have to say whenever we're talking about these things, and not only deal with it as we deal with it. We'll try to deal with it as honestly as we can, but we'll bring up there's alternatives. There's there's different ways of looking at some of this. This happens to be the way that we believe, and most of us here, I think all of us here, are very passionate about this, think it's important. But in the end, you, you need to stand before God and say, God, shape my theology. You're responsible for this. I want you to, to be in my mind, the spirit, the power of the spirit, overcoming anything that uh, I may have whenever I begin to wrestle with these things, objections that I may have. And, and let, it, let, it, let the words that we have enter you into that wrestling match. And it may last a month, and it may be a spiritual battle. I promise you it's going to be somewhat of a spiritual battle because it's a hard thing for us to, I I believe, let go of our will that we are trying to hold on to our own sense of accomplishment sometimes is what it may be. And sometimes it's just our old paradigms of thinking. But listen to this series as we go through this, and hopefully it will be able to shape your your understanding, and I believe bring you to a a greater understanding of the majesty of God and his sovereignty in all things. Mm-hmm. I, I like to do that, Sam. I like to do that, Tim, beforehand, because I know what I went through. Mm-hmm. And I know whenever I talk to people what they go through. And I want to, I want you guys to understand this is something that we know you're getting into and you need to be prepared for. Yeah, totally. Uh, I, I, my experience probably was very similar to yours in some respects. Um, I was raised in a tradition theologically that was very Arminian. Um, Calvinism was um, not well represented. It was not clearly articulated. It, typically we had a caricature of it that 
that I found offensive. Um, I was a fire-breathing um, 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 enemy of everything Calvinistic. And it what ultimately, I, of course I attribute the change to God, but ultimately it was a question of what saith the Scriptures. When I kept going back to the Word of God and probing deeply and asking uh, uh, the significant questions, the answers that I kept getting back from, from the Word of God, uh, pointed me in the direction of this perspective, this system of theology, if you will, um, this way of understanding God's uh, relationship with his creation and with his creatures. But it is going to be a challenge. It is disruptive. It is oftentimes offensive. It is an assault on human pride. Uh, it runs counter to the instinctive uh, sense of uh, personal accomplishment. We don't want to attribute our achievements to anything other than our own uh, efforts and our own uh, good intentions. And the fact that we are as utterly and absolutely dependent upon God as I think the Scriptures teach does not set well with the human soul. Mm-hmm. An invitation to Calvinism. That's what it, this is called. Mm-hmm. Invitation to Calvinism. That's what we're giving to you. Uh, folks, uh, you know how we do things here at the ministry, Reclaim the Mind Ministries. We're, we're going to be introducing this subject. We're going to be talking about this subject, but we're, we're going to uh, do our very best to help you walk through it in a, in a very balanced way. I think what we'll do as we go through this is give some explanations. Maybe next week begin to go through what is called the tulip, the flower Mm-hmm. Uh, the, so we will trade in the basketball for the flower. Well, we'll bring back in the basketball somehow. Okay. Yeah. We need to find out how he's doing. Who? Your son. Oh, okay. We, yeah, I mean, we're yeah. expecting that throughout this broadcast, he's going to start you know, shooting the game-winning shot and things like that. Yeah, for his team, let's hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> in, the, in the right basket. Uh, but we'll, we'll cover that. We'll also cover some misconceptions about Calvinism. I think it's very, very important, especially mm-hmm. for some of you who are listening to this that are antagonistic against it, that have, that have heard about it, but heard about it from people who may have done less than um, their share of study on the subject and misrepresented what Calvinism means. So hopefully this series will be beneficial to you all folks and uh, be something that will give you a good invitation to this, uh, this uh, doctrine called Calvinism, this series of doctrines called Calvinism. Until next week, folks, thank you for joining us on Theology Unplugged. For Sam, for Tim, this is Michael, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to Theology Unplugged. Visit our iTunes page by searching Theology Unplugged at the iTunes Store. All episodes are available as free downloads. Theology Unplugged is made possible by Reclaiming the Mind Ministries. Reclaiming the Mind Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. If you've enjoyed this session or benefited from it in any way, do consider partnering with us. For information on how to become a ministry partner and for a complete listing of ministry resources, visit the RMM homepage at www.reclaimingthemind.org. Thank you for listening, and God bless.